Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. An authoritarian government is a government that uses strong central power to maintain the status quo and block civil liberties. There are well-known examples like Russia and lesser-known examples like Ukraine. We're going to talk about all sorts of authoritarian governments, what is, what isn't the definition of, common examples, countries you've heard of, countries you've never heard of. Before we get too far into it, Mike, how are you doing? What are you drinking? Doing all right. I'm drinking some white rum, and I feel like I don't have enough for authoritarianism. Uh, what about you, Nick? How are you doing? What are you drinking? I am excited. And yeah, well, <laughs> I'm here, and uh, I got some Modelo, and uh, I'm ready to get into it. I figured we'd just start with kind of how authoritarianism is defined, and then kind of the rise, and then we'll kind of get into some examples. So, and this is up for debate, but I, I think the best explanation definition of authoritarianism is a government that possesses one uh, limited political pluralism, basically not a lot of dissenting opinions or opposition, you could say. Uh, next, political legitimacy is based upon an appeal to emotion and identification of the regime as a necessary evil to combat an easily recognizable societal problem, uh, such as underdevelopment, poverty, bad economy, insurgency, whatever the problem that they got into power, you know, railing against. Third, minimal political mobilization. So not a lot of opposition to the party in power. And that follows, tying into that is suppression of people who want to uh, act against the regime in charge. And then fourth, ill-defined executive powers that are often vague and shifting, extends the power of the executive branch. And these are the the qualities that Juan Linz, who wrote a book called An Authoritarian Regime, Spain, and that's how he defined them. And I think they're pretty good. And the reason I say this is how I think they should be defined is people are very liberal with their use say, of authoritarianism. I'm not sure if that was uh, tongue-in-cheek there, Nick, but that was uh, uh, I agree with you. Uh, the only thing I would like to add on it was it was not supposed to be tongue in cheek. It was uh, I just there's so many examples of people calling things authoritarianism that that are not that I think is important to define multiple. I, I think it's more than just a strong central government. I think I, I to me the big one is suppression of opposition. I think that's like if I had to get rid of one, you'd have a a strong central political power. And suppression of opposition if you had to do onesie twosies i agree with you the only thing i want to add on to that is the expression of power at the expense of personal freedom uh I, that to me is very associated with author authoritarianism and to be honest with you nick with people talking about authoritarianism have you ever seen the princess bride uh yeah and you have the sicilian going that's inconceivable and then you and then you have dantego going i don't think you know what that word means and i feel like that's pretty much Majority of the people in media talking about authoritarianism. Yeah, I, I think it's more uh, kind of like in Monty Python, the Holy Grail, right for talking what, what you're talking about, where he he pushes the peasant. He's like, look, I'm being oppressed. I'm being oppressed. 
<laughs> oh, you saw that, right? You saw that. I, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that that's that's very on on par. That's def- definitely what I saw a lot. But before we get too far, since we're still on definitions, I want to throw in totalitarianism with that because I saw a lot of people who I would call talk about what I would call authoritarian regime and call it totalitarianism, not authoritarianism. Like like there was like some huge difference apparently like them splitting hairs and totalitarianism is government power is unlimited and controls the public and private life which i'm not exactly sure why people would split hairs that one country isn't one not the other when we can both agree that i think we can both agree nick that authoritarianism and totalitarianism is probably not the best thing for the people yeah and i i would say yeah like the splitting hairs would be like in in some a lot of authoritarianism countries there is a minority political party that's allowed to wield some power but not really make any meaningful changes where you wouldn't have that in a totalitarianism see i could see all that the same just one's called a facade and the other is called not a facade <laughs> yeah and i think it's the same and and another thing i wanted to, to bring up for definition is for the dictatorships most dictatorships are authoritarianism but it doesn't necessarily need to be a dictatorship so uh, an example the well-known example i would say is is china where it's a political party that is in control it's not necessarily a dictatorship but it is one party and it's it's not it's complete suppression like uh oh don't don't worry nick we'll get into china a little bit later but there's still you know, lim- like people have access to kind of like a free market ish. Ish. Ish is a very key word there, Nick. Ish. So uh, I just want to, like, not all dictatorships are authoritarianism. And not all authoritarianisms is dictatorships. Yeah. That's very true. Uh, just to add on to your point, when I think dictatorship, uh, I think of Saudi Arabia. But I don't know if I would count Saudi Arabia as authoritarian government close but i'm not quite sure i'm on the fence if that's authoritarian or not yeah i i would say as well uh you know it there's there's definitely some political suppression going on but at the same time it's not a complete shutdown uh where but you know if you go hard the other way and look at north korea there there's very clear suppression that's going on and nothing's going to take place without that regime's change where you can still see some changes taking place in saudi arabia yeah i i mean i don't know i don't want to exactly get into it i don't want to talk about how authoritarian governments arise but i mean just like at north korea you only allowed certain haircuts and then in saudi arabia i think in the last decade they finally let, let women start to drive that's pretty drastic for that region so it's kind of like it's like taking what you can get when you can get it yeah i would agree with that uh so Unless you had anything else in definitions, I was going to talk about how authoritarian governments arise. Go right ahead, my friend. So the most common way is a political party comes into power against something and, you know, making an enemy. They, They normally come to rise. Maybe it's a good cause, but then they start, you know, gaining more and more power and they, they stay in power. They usually have an other that is the enemy and whether that other be 
you know, a, a, the other political party or, you know, an outside party. But there is usually an other that they are trying to, you know, blame everything on. And it's not a hard and fast like, okay, we're here. You know, we're, we, we want to get, get rid of X. And then the next day that they get into power, it's a hard takeover. A lot of this is, is more gradual, giving more and more power to the central government or the leading political party, taking power away from other sort, other, you know, it ends when you take power away from your, your other groups, right? So those usually include any opposition party in the government. And so you can do that from beating them out in elections and then kind of making elections kind of like a sham. But there's also authoritarian governments like uh, Botswana and that other places where it's kind of just like there's one political party and they haven't really had to destroy too many institutions to maintain power, just of how they maintain power. And part of that is because they make the country work in a way that people, it, it's not terrible to live there for these people so they're not exactly pissed off you know so you know if you look at it, it's technically authoritarianism but it's also it's not the dictatorship that you're thinking of yeah but before we get too far into that i saw some common themes with the rise of authoritarianism uh the main rises is authoritarianism usually comes after post-war an economic turmoil extreme nationalism or entitlement. I would like to throw all those together and say anger. That authoritarianism rises from anger, and I would also like to throw in fear. Authoritarianism rises from anger and fear. Anger that they're in an XY situation of like probably the most example that everyone thinks of is Nazi Germany. You know, Germans were supposed to pay war reformations. They were poor. They were angry. That's like number turmoil. Post-war, that kind of leads to authoritarianism. Fear of like not knowing what to do. People will gladly give up freedoms because they're scared. They want security. And that gives into like one political party saying we can fix this. We can fix why. It's these people's fault. It's uh, it's because those people won't step down. Those people won't do this. And that's very quickly how those political parties get into places of power where authoritarianism just thrives. That is... A very good explanation that I would have taken, used a lot more words to try to get across. I want to throw this a caveat because I don't really know if this fits anywhere else, but I came across an interesting scientific paper. It was not, it was more of a philosophy paper than scientific paper, but it was about how economic development increases the likelihood of democracy while big government or big business uh, it's like big business, meaning monopolies, decreases the chances of democracy and increases the chance of authoritarianism, which I can. Is this I, I, I read a paper that said that resource rich countries are more prone to authoritarianism. Is this the same paper that we read? No, this one was solely on um, just businesses based, like if money is allowed to flow freely between classes, uh, it had nothing to do with uh, resources. Okay, so so what you're saying is I yeah so the more free market based the more democratic the countries are the higher likelihood of democracy of happening and the lower those chances such as big government or uh, monopolies the higher in chance of authoritarianism which honestly makes sense to me 
Yeah, that does make sense. Well, that's like look at uh, just the United States in pretty much any industry and you look at regulations of, of who's trying to push more regulations. It's, you know, usually the, you know, whatever political party plus big business. So, for example, like in the timber industry, you're going to see a lot of, uh, you know, environmentalist. And the reason I bring that up is that I'm a, I grow trees. I work in the timber industry environmentalists push for more strict regulations on timber and the smaller companies push back but the bigger companies are like okay because they can take the hit and it's actually better for them because they can it costs more to operate in that area with more regulations but they're going to be fine so the more regulations the better they have so i can see how and as they as time goes on they get bigger and bigger and they make it so pretty much financially they're one of the only only bigger companies are allowed to operate getting into that monopoly status i love how we're talking about dictators and authoritarianism and you somehow still brought it to trees well that's how my brain works and if you haven't figured it out by now i liken it back to things in my life and that this is what i know i know trees sticking with your now like sticking with your real world scenario and i'm adding on to it and i can't stress this enough this is just a analogy but it could be like a bunch of environmentalists are angry about one company doing this. And so they use that anger to point the blame to ruin it for everyone else to start taking away freedoms because like the environment is going, this company's not doing X, Y, and Z. And that slowly can lead to a in power. That doesn't necessarily, it's getting me and happen. A lot of environmental stuff is on good stuff. I'm just using that as an example based off of yours, Nick. Yeah. I, I love the, how you described it as, fear and anger leads to authoritarianism one because that transitions beautifully into star wars <laughs> talking god damn nick new rule you can't talk if you're gonna talk about star wars you can't talk about trees anymore and you will respect my authority all i'm saying is democracy dies with thunderous applause and i don't feel like i need to explain that because if you haven't seen star wars at this point in your life you're fucking up not not only that but you're you're probably <laughs> Yeah, You're probably I mean, living in an authoritarian country. I mean, they I, at this point they just need to start showing it in schools to make sure everyone's seen it. They okay, they should have a list of movies like that you need to see before you can graduate high school, just so that you can interact in society and be a normal person. Yeah, no, I I mean, I'm not completely disagreeing with you, uh, but but we'll shelve this for for later because this is not what we're talking about. But sticking with the fear uh, and anger, I think we've all seen this in everyone's everyday life. If sometimes the, the smallest group or the, the 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 minority makes the loudest noise, someone who's the loudest making a tentatrontum, making it seem like it's a much bigger deal than it is. And that's very common when it comes to political systems. And that can very easily lead to a king, a dictator, a political party just absolutely dominating. I think, I don't know if it's still true. Uh, this is older information and this is off the top of my head. I, I just thought of it now. I couldn't, didn't get a chance to research it. But I remember in like 2012, Greece was mainly run by a political party that was extremely fascist, which was pretty much Nazi-ish and authoritarian-ish. I don't know if that political party still exists, but they 
where they just chose one topic. I, I, the one that comes to my mind was immigration, which tends to be a big one for authoritarianism. And they just kept preaching that, like they need to kick out uh, immigrants coming in, taking your jobs. They're the reason why your life's so miserable. They're the reason why you're poor. They're the reason why that the country's ruined. They just find that scapegoat. They find that one place to put a spotlight and they just screech it over and over again. Yeah, that's, like I said, there's usually an other. An other is the group that they choose to, to fight against. And, you know, for Germany, that was the Jews. There's, you know, there's got, you got to place blame somewhere. And, and that makes it easier to do, you know, if you have a clear enemy, it's easier to blame a X group for whatever your problems are than it is to actually fix those problems. Because if you can just keep screaming against someone, people are like, yeah, you know, this would be so great if it wasn't for X. And people just, you know, it's easier. It's, it's an easy, it's easier to complain than to come up with a solution. Yeah. And people start, and if you listen to people who are in these situations, it starts to change how they think. Whereas, you know, you start, like if you, it, it's not gradual, right? So like not to go back to it, but because I, I hate when people keep always bring up Nazi Germany, but Hitler didn't rise to power blaming, you know, and then immediately start putting people in concentration camps. There was a lot that took place in between. He rose to power because they, the, the German economy was in shambles. They were in a bunch of debt. Everyone was miserable and they needed to, you know, he was saying all the things people were thinking and he had to get that out. And then he, he, he created an other that people could blame. And then gradually people just started, you know, you hear something over and over again, and then you just start thinking it's true. And then what a common theme is the truth morphs into like a, for the greater good kind of thing. So Boy, that seems you have like to a do... straight-off Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> yeah, so you have to do something, like, for the greater good. And so the truth starts to reflect that. So, you know, you'd say, like, the economy was doing great, except for, you know, the problem is that these these people aren't contributing or they're dragging us down. And, you know, you want the economy to do good, but and it, and it could do good, but you keep hearing it's these people and these people, and then suddenly you have to do this because, you know— you, you believe in this greater truth that's being told. And then you start fitting things. They start fitting things you're doing into that. And that becomes like the truth. It's people just kind of start following whatever this this party is saying, what these people in power after, because it just starts to make sense that the, the, the facts don't, don't matter as much because everyone's kind of on the same page and this is being told over and over again. And, and there's a fear of, you know, you don't want to be that group either. Yeah, it's, it's someone else's head, not your own. So don't stick your head out. But Nick, I have a perfect transition. I'm very happy you said the greater good. It's a country not author, uh, under a dictatorship or authoritarianism yet. But it does have some interesting traits. And it might be the beginning of a transition period, which we shall see how it goes. But I'm not sure if you want to go into it. But Australia. Yeah. Uh, big fan of Australia as a four-wheel driving community. That's pretty much all I know about Australia. And the platypus. Don't forget the platypus. And the platypus. Big fan of Steve Irwin, too. Rest in peace. Oh, now I'm sad. Yep. Sorry to bring it down like that. Uh, it's fine. We're just going to talk about COVID, Big Brother, and Australia. So a little bit happier news compared to Steve Irwin. 
So with COVID-19, Australia started doing, well, multiple countries started doing interesting things. Like South Korea started tracking individuals who tested positive and displayed their location online for the public, just not names. But when COVID hit Australia, Australia went completely into lockdown. You're not allowed to leave the country, not allowed to uh, enter the country. Uh, face recognition app that the government can ask for you to use whenever it wants. I mean, I know Australia was once a prison country. It doesn't mean it has to be a prison country once again. Uh, they're not allowed to travel to different states in Australia. That's like saying here in the United States, if I was, if I'm in Texas, I'm not allowed to go to New Mexico. That's bonkers to me. Um, Australia had. I mean, not as concerning. What's what's in New Mexico, and why do you want to go there? I've never heard of any. I've never heard of that being the state. Someone's like, "Fuck the government! Better not block me from going to New Mexico." I'm I'm honestly looking at Texas borders, and I'm thinking like, "What you got? Oklahoma? You got you got New Mexico, and you got Louisiana." I'm like, "Oh, which which one do I want to go to of those three? Well, there's there's good fishing in Louisiana, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I guess it's not funny actually. But uh, oh, it's it's pretty awful, but it's funny awful. But the uh, I watch these guys on YouTube who uh, four wheel drive twenty four seven in Australia, and they just because they don't they're not trying to get political because it's it's the you know off roading channel. It's not a political channel, so they just be like, oh, you know, so and so's in another state and can't get over. And it's just like, oh, yep, yeah, because because you guys are crazy locked down. I get it. But it's, it's just funny how, you know, they talk about it because you have to mention it because it's like one of the main guys isn't there. So what do you say? But, you know, you don't want to get, you know, into politics. It's kind of hard not to when your country's certain parts are installing daily curfews. They have military presence and some people in certain cities were only limited to a three mile radius from their home. That means they were only allowed to go to any grocery store or uh, any medical store that was in three miles of their home. That seems a bit overstepped to me. Uh, and this was not in the beginning, not just in the beginning when we had, of the pandemic, when no one had any idea what they're doing. This was uh, this is also kind of pretty fresh. And uh, that's I don't know. That seems very authoritarianism to me of uh, government establishing power and uh, obedience through the expense of personal freedom that kind of fits it to a T so I'm wondering if we're seeing a new government arise in Australia of an authoritarian one yeah I mean if there's one thing that that I've learned from studying this is that you're no country thinks they're heading into an authoritarian government it just kind of happens and and there's there's you know there's coups and stuff but a lot of it is voted in democratically and it just kind of runs away from there it seems like people willingly allow the government to make uh draconian laws wait is that a it was it right well and again it's it's because it doesn't start there you know if these people came to power saying you know we're gonna shut down this entire fucking country and you can't leave your home no no one's gonna vote for that but it just it it but Nick, we're doing it. It goes there for the, for the greater good. We're gonna have a temporarily slowdown on business. You know, for the greater good, we're gonna have a 
shutdowns for people's health. For the greater good, we're not going to allow you to travel more than three miles from your home. For the greater good, we're going to allow you have to use an app to, and we anytime we contact you, you have to reply. Or if not, we'll have some security guards come to your home to check on you. That's actually all real. That's I'm honestly that's straight that like straight 1984 to me. Yeah, I mean, well, that was the whole point. <laughs> yeah, no, I was agreeing with you with a real world uh, anal- not analogy, real yeah. world uh, example. Yeah, and and here's something that that I found that I thought was interesting, and and I never found a good explanation. I was curious if you did. So after the Berlin Wall fell, it was like bulls on parade. Democracy is the way to go. You know, er- everything countries started becoming more democratic and then in the 2000s authoritarianism kind of came back uh i've heard it called the democratic recession which is a hilarious but extremely sad term that a a lot more authoritarianism and totalitarian states have come up and to me and you would think like what happened in the 2000s to, to cause that is and this started in 2005 and so this kind of right around when internet becomes commonplace you think the spread of ideas would lead to more democratic area but then you also yeah i don't know i just i i never got a good explanation of why authoritarianism is having a resurgence all right so i got four points these are all rambles i have no evidence to back it up the first one being history always repeats itself the second is monkey see monkey do so you see one authoritarian government get away with it and you're like Oh, I can do that. Three, it's people who, I was going to say, who didn't grow up in the the worst of the regime, so they don't really know how bad authoritarianism is. But that's not true. Some of these people who are now in charge of their political parties in their countries have been in part of the, uh, their the regime authoritarianism. So maybe they just think it's a part of life. Because I'll be honest you, with you, Nick, uh, it seems like the authoritarian leaders, not just the followers, but the actual leaders, all are the older crowd. It's politicians, so not surprised. But I was more surprised on how many followers they have who are young or middle-aged. I'm like, mm, you are not getting educated. Or maybe they're just so indoctrinated that they just start from birth that they don't know any better. But that those are probably my top of the reasons ha- of happening it's just history doesn't re- it just repeats itself monkey see monkey do you see one person get away with it everyone starts doing it or it's just uh i don't know i guess it's like uh communism nick we know it doesn't work but yet we still keep trying yeah so the i i, I tried to find an explanation that that i felt was right and i was given a few and they just didn't they didn't make sense to me all so the big one that I think could be, like, if I had to pick with the most likely, I would say uh, the success of China using an authoritarian model to become a major power in other countries trying to emulate that. I would say that that is possibly, maybe that's what it is. Um, that's my, of the ones I'm going to read, that that's the most likely. I, I think, I don't think it's a good explanation, but I, I don't know. Uh, the other is the with globalization and you know people moving around like you mentioned immigrants is a big one uh talked about the rise of quote-unquote new nationalism of 
you know, there's X party coming in, they're changing things, I don't like it, let's, you know, gain power to, to keep things the way they were. Victor Orban from Hungary pops to my mind from that. He's very, uh, he's very strong in immigration and anti-gender rights. The other thing is that the financial crisis in, uh, I think it was like 2008, of how, you know, slowed economies, less of a, a market economy, people defaulted to more, you know, reliance on the government, which then gave rise to more political power for the government, leading to an easy gateway into authoritarianism. Um, and then another one is that with this, the spread of knowledge that uh, and in the internet, you're kind of basically markets opened up. And so that uh, and one of those would be that the mar- the market of news in that wait nick you're telling me authoritarian governments are controlling news media well the the explanation that i got for the rise for the rise of authoritarianism post 2000s is that with social media it made it easier for authoritarianisms to gain power by gaining like a social social influence oh yeah they're the fad setters they they, i mean everyone will follow them right and they were able to kind of you know get rid of the the legacy you know whatever that was there you know they, they were able to see and interact with more people in whatever country and, and and gain power that way and all these things seem true i i just don't understand why it led to a rise in authoritarianism but i do understand to me the the two biggest ones is is china and the financial crisis because you talk about fear you know if, if the economy goes to shit and you start relying more and more on the government and then the government gets more and more power to deal with whatever crisis i can see how that can lead into you know people like power people rarely give up power oh yeah and i'm so. very happy you brought up china because that's a oh man that's an authoritarian government if i ever seen one or totalitarianism or just dictatorship one of the, uh, just choose your poison uh, the main one I want to choose because this is quite kind of more recent in the news. Uh, H&M said they will no longer source their cotton from Xinjiang, which is a kind of a hot zone for maybe not the best ethic rights. And because of that, China has now made H&M impossible to search on the Internet in their own country and is kind of pulling out all of HMN's stuff. Because HMM is big enough to kill and make an example out of, but not big enough where it'll affect their economy. And anytime you control what goes on to your internet, that's uh, that's some red flags for me. Well, yeah, I mean, anytime suppression of information is, is a major... Suppression of information and political opposition is a major part of authoritarianism. And not only is H&M, you know suppressing that but you're suppressing the the quote-unquote opposition of of free markets by saying hey like look how much power we have like we can fuck you up like you said h&m china doesn't need h&m but h&m probably needs china yeah i think from their because they've been i think they've been down five quarters now so they're 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 hurting pretty bad and they're they weren't just gonna let them get away with that yeah that i'm Happy thought, like you said, that it's uh, a way to keep their regime because that was very curious to me of 
okay, I can see people having the wool pull over their eyes and getting too deep into their heads, but how do they not wake up and smell the roses? And this was very interesting to me because China does, pretty much all authoritarian companies do this in some different form or method. They allow people to voice their opinions so they, one, know who their enemies are, and two, it makes the people feel like they're being listened to. Or three, which is a big one in China, which I thought was really interesting, is they make smaller officials kind of sacrificial goats. So they say this this corrupt politician's going. So now the people think, oh, they're cleaning up the political system. They're cleaning up Congress. They're cleaning up the, the party. And that makes the people happy, even though those people were probably low on the totem pole and had no major involvement. And that seems to appeal people, almost like a going back to Rome with the gladiator fights. If the people are distracted with games, they don't look at the big picture. And that seems to be a very big picture of authoritarianism is let the people voice their opinion, like do some protests and stuff like that, but nothing will come from it. Or uh, use a scapegoat saying, look, we're, we're solving them and making a whole public phenomenon, like having it the trials on video camera, having it printed everywhere in the newspaper, having it talk everywhere, spread everywhere. That seems to be the major course of keeping authoritarian people in power, of just like lulling the lulling the the beasts of what is a civilization to sleep. Yeah, that's interesting about distracting people. And and here's the thing about authoritarianism is like we said, there's multiple forms but the most successful, and by successful, I mean longest lasting, is where the authoritarian government is a political party and not just a person. You have outliers like North Korea, which is a longstanding dictatorship, but most well, authoritarianism— Well, can you blame him if he has no butthole? Like, of course they're going to make him their king. I mean, that checks out. But most authoritarianism countries aren't—they don't have a dictator. They have a political party that is in power with a single ideology, like— Usually, like we talked about, the greater good, they do things for the greater good of the country. And so, and and people have just kind of bought into it because they can lead pretty normal lives under these authoritarian rulers because the the people do care. And so two things I want to bring up, and I guess this could go under why is the rise of, why is authoritarianism on the rise post-2005? Before before you get into that, I just want to say with the whole scapegoat and, uh, distracting people i got that from uh mit news from an article called how authoritarian leaders maintain support i just wanted to kind of quote myself there but please continue yeah um so so there has been some papers that show that authoritarianism can take a shambled economy and kind of ramp it up faster than a shambled economy that's run democratically and obviously that comes, you know, at a cost. But the way that, you know, the, the central government works and that they can quickly get, you know, done what they want done faster than they can get done with a democratic system of government that for the most part, a lot of, <laughs> I'm not advocating for authoritarianism, but I am saying this could be a reason why we're seeing a rise post 2005 is that, uh, a lot of the countries that went from, you know, the bottom on, you know, the economic list to, you know, the, the middle or the top in a, in a short order of time were authoritarianism because 
the government can identify problems and, and, and solve them quickly if they are working for the people. And this is another thing that I read, and I don't know if I agree with it, but I don't know if I disagree with it, is that uh, resource-rich countries are more likely to be authoritarianism because the party doesn't have to work as hard to make the economy function as well as it should because they can rely on whatever natural resource that is, whether it be diamonds, uh, oil, or, you know, probably the big ones, oil, but any natural resource, diamonds, uh, agriculture, whatever it is, if, if there's, you know, money on the table there for them to use, it's easier for them to use that resource in a way to create money for them and the country so that they can be productive. And so, I don't know, I, I, to me, I could see that kind of being a reason why there's a rise. I don't know, what do you think? Well, this entire time I, kept help, I couldn't help but think of Russia. From Putin's rise from when the Soviet Union fell to what Russia is now, it's very night and day. You had Soviet Union, Soviet Union fell, which Russia was in shambles, and then what it is now, which for the most part, looking at their economic space, it's kind of fits what you're saying. It's an authoritarianism government with a abundance of resources where they don't have to work as hard, and they kind of have control over what says and not says without people's rights, but it's not the worst authoritarian government ever in history. Yeah, and I wanted to also add on to that, is that while authoritarian governments are more likely to lead countries from you know, low income to, to, to de- quote-unquote develop their country economically, you're also more likely to have economic and humanitarian problems uh, than a democratic country. But... I mean, if you're, you know, living in a third world country and, and someone can get get you into, you know, that second, you know, f- first world country area, then what's sacrificing a few liberties, I guess, is, is the point there. Yeah, imagine trying to explain to a mother, it's like, you get to keep your freedom of the press or you get to have food for your baby. I imagine most parents are choosing food for their baby. Yeah, exactly. And I, I do think it's interesting, but he, here's my thought. I, I don't know. Like you mentioned, Russia. For do I? Do, I the question is, do I agree that resource-rich countries are more likely to be authoritarianism? And yeah, you have great examples of that: Venezuela, Russia, anywhere in the Middle East. But there's also authoritarianism governments that don't that aren't resource-rich. I mean. Is North Korea a resource-rich country? <laughs> well, no. But I think it's not saying that they have to be. I just think it's saying it's a it's likelihood. It's more likely to be? Yeah. It's like, oh, you have a history of this in your family, you're more likely to get this disease. You have a likelihood, if you have more uh, natural resources, you're more likely for X, Y, and Z. That's how I've been registering it. Yeah, that's a good point. But since we're talking about the rise of authoritarianism across the world, that's just a boom... What the hell is happening in South America? Why are there so many authoritarian governments in South America? Like, I understand parts of Africa. I understand parts of the Middle East. I understand parts of Asia, why they're authoritarian. It's just, uh, it's just South America really caught me by surprise of like seeing countries that were economically stable, in my opinion, where things were seemed to be on the upright, but they just switched over to authoritarianism, which I had no idea why. I guess if you have no enemy, you create your own <laughs> enemy. 
Well, part of it is maybe that they were they were it wasn't super long ago that they were fighting for their independence and so they have haven't had as long to you know be their own country um like you said like we said they are resource rich they have the rainforest they have timber cattle ground there uh they have oil uh gas diamond copper you name i mean look at chile how much copper is in chile or diamonds one of the two so I guess they're more likely to be authoritarianism then? <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you. It's it's just weird how I understand anger and fear. Like, that makes sense to me. People will always do dumb things out of fear and anger. But when things are overall for a country, again, this is an outsider looking in. So I don't know the emotions of the people in the country. So take this with a grain of salt. But from outside looking in, if I look at, like, uh, Colombia is probably not a good example. Uh, Argentina. Argentina was a pretty. It's a pretty powerful economic thunderhouse. I mean, granted, you had the one prime minister who kind of was corrupt, which could have pulled the string, which kind of undone everything. That's a possibility. But now it's getting kind of scary with all the South American countries falling. That maybe Argentina is going to soon fall into an extreme authoritarian government. Just uh, just for an example, right now for people running in Colombia, a former M19 terrorist, Gustavo Petro, is heading the polls. In Brazil, a two-time committed felon leading the polls. So I mean, they're not really caring about their criminal history. So I imagine there have to be saying something quite eccentric to pass the blame to someone else. It's like I was part of this terrorist organization because they weren't doing x y and z it's just that seems like a, just a stretch for me but yet it's somehow working i honestly don't know enough i'm trying to think who was the guy who like tried to unite all of south america like everything is named after him couldn't tell you they're one of the named countries down there one of them is named after him chile venezuela brazil Argentina, we have... Simon Boliviar. Boliviar, okay. Bolivia. There we go. I was trying to think back to him, because he is the last known, or to me, the last well-known like leader, charismatic leader, and I I don't know enough about him, but I'm wondering if... Because uh, he... No, you know, what's his name? Uh, The guy who was friend with Fidel Castro, Ch- Chavez? You know him. Cesar Chavez. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Bolivia was a long time ago. He died in 1830. So that doesn't really stack up. He he freed South America from Spanish rule. Because I was thinking, I'm trying to think. Honestly, I, I couldn't, I don't know enough to give you an answer. Well, that's the people. But what about the actual 13 people themselves? That I actually have some answers. So I was curious about the psychology of what goes into a person who's authoritarian, not the supporter, but the actual head honcho. Authorian people, and I saw this trend to be common amongst psychology papers, was they have a blind loyalty to their ideals or values. They use fear for power. They always try to be better than you, aka they lack humility. Aggressive leadership. No one's opinion but their own. Uh, believing that their culture is the best culture, so ethnocentrism kind of thing and something that i know you're going to make fun of me for and we you're probably going to hate that i'm bringing it up but a paper by thomas costello sean boas sorry shauna boas 
and Scott Linifold found, which I thought, again, extremely interesting, but you're going to make fun of me. They found a correlation between people who are deterministic and authoritarianistic. So they found people who have determinism beliefs lean far more into authoritarian personality. So if you believe that there is no such thing as free will, that everything is determined, you tend to have more authoritarianism ideology in your body. Which makes me think of history, Nick, of how many dictators were ruthless because, or how many political parties were ruthless because they thought it was their destiny or it was their God-given right. I feel like that's dime a dozen of it's for the greater good or God commanded me so or it's uh, it's it's the, the strong eat and the weak die kind of spirit. And I met, and I just thought that was extremely interesting. And I also thought it was interesting how authoritarian governments, though have a large overlap with authoritarian personality, still don't have an exact overlap. There are still some slight differences. Honestly, I just thought that uh, the answer is going to be people are people and power corrupts. <laughs> so that's uh yeah that's that's very very true. That's uh. Yeah, I would also say it's a part ignorance of not exploring, not understanding other cultures. I mean, when you have your country controlled by your, sorry, when you have your internet controlled by your country, it's hard to get new ideas that might contradict their belief system. So it's hard to get different thoughts and opinions and different ideas in. So that's a, yeah, that's a, it might just be a echo chamber cycle of hatred going around and around and around. Probably. So I got an answer for you on why South America has more authoritarian governments in North America. Oh boy. Let's uh, let's hear this one. So four reasons. So first, the legacy of the colonization by Spain and Portugal did not leave as many freedoms to people as the European colonization. I guess wait, English wait, wait. colonization. So, when, so they had more freedoms underneath England. England than they did Spanish. Got it. So the Spain and Portugal rule was more of a feudalistic rule than the English rule was. And the Spain and Portugal had more of a peasant class and didn't allow people as much freedom. They also didn't invest as much in their colonies, so it didn't increase their economic growth. And uh, so the next is the you know European... The Latin American countries have a much different climate for the most part than the Europeans were used to. And so for the most part, obviously there's exceptions to this rule. They weren't able to grow the crops that were brought. And so it kind of led to a disaster. I mean, if you can't, if you can't grow anything and you live in a feudal system, it's not how you, how you grow an economy. It's not how you grow people. It's not how you, how people survive. Yeah, you can't tell your plant to respect your authority and just expect it to grow. Yeah, and then there's a lot more barriers between the different countries, whether it be forests, mountains. So it made trade, hence, or made transport, hence it made trade difficult. So it took a while to develop, you know, trade, whereas the United States is pretty easy to to travel in. So it it slowed uh, internal economic development just because you. It's not like manifest destiny where you're pushing west. It's kind of you. Once you hit a mountain, that's kind of that's kind of it. Like real mountains, not not like the uh, 
the Appalachians. Even those I would not want to climb over with pack mules. Um, and second, the early industrialization of the United States and Canada allowed North America to dominate politically and then it caused the South American markets to just almost completely depend on the United States uh, for goods and services. And so it was never able to kind of become independent. I'll also and, throw the CIA was probably not helping in South America too much. Well, this I, this was way in the past, but also, I just yes. wanted to make a CIA, a CIA joke. Uh, and but like we talked about, I can't remember what ep- whatever is essentially one of the big parts is that South America had no middle class. You were either serf or you were you know in power. So peasant or rich. There's there was no in between, which is not good for an economy. Can't remember what episode we talked about that in. Yeah, uh, can't remember either. But yeah, that that all makes sense. If the foundation was rocky at the beginning, it's hard to build upon it. But it's just it's just. I am surprised as much as you researching this, Nick, of one, people splitting hairs, two, people actually not knowing what authoritarianism is, and three, why authoritarianism is rising. Like, uh, more than 20 countries, I would say, are underneath, are, are authoritarian in nature, which is, what, there's, on, how many countries are there? So like 182. 182? It's, it's, le- it's less than 250, but... I almost, I mean, that's, I mean, still 20 some odd countries is still a large portion. And they're not, some of these countries aren't small countries. They're like, it's like China and Russia, like world leaders. It's a, it's a, it's a force to be reckoning with. And it looks like it's here to stay. Yeah. And, and I don't think we'll ever get away from it because people are people, right? And, th- and that's why the United States was. The Constitution and the separation of powers was built the way it is, is to try and force people to not be people. And they're not trying to force them not be people, but tried to play them against each other in a way that no one person had more power than the rest. Checks and balances. That's that's a that's a that's a good statement. Someone should coin that. <laughs> Someone should realize why it's important is what needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's that touche with that. I can't help but ask a question. This is kind of more of a philosophical question, but it kind of fits into what you're talking about with, do people just want to be ruled? I, I, I can't help but feel like so many people crave security or are okay with being told what they can and cannot see, what they can and cannot listen to. Yes and no. So I, I think my answer, maybe it's just me, maybe it's other people. I, I think what is is people don't, wish to be ruled but people don't want to care about that people want to work people want to do what they want to do they want someone else to handle the rest of it so if you have someone coming in saying who you find charismatic or have the same values or whatever it is you know fearful you're say all you want to do say you're a just a lowly guy and all you want to do is is grow trees hypothetically you elect tim kennedy got it (laughs) and someone comes in saying they're going to take care of everything you just you know focus on you know yourself you know have you know spend time with your wife go to work i'm going to take care of the rest of it i'm going to solve this economic issue and you you listen to this guy and you're like oh yeah man like cool you go do that and then you just kind of zone out you just 
you know, you see him on the, the TV and you're like, cool, that guy sounds like he knows what he's doing. I don't, you know, this other guy's a fucking idiot. Don't need to worry about it. And then 10 years later, 10 years later, you're in a gulag and you don't know how you got here. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, it Honestly, just thinking about it, authoritarianism seems like a Ponzi scheme, but instead of with hopes and dreams of making a lot of money, it's fear and anger of wanting things to change. It's like you tell one person, they tell two people, those two people tell three, tell those two people. It, Or am I wrong with that? I... <laughs> I'm thinking. Uh, so I guess my my answer is, but also all politics are a Ponzi scheme. So touche, touche. So I don't know where to take it from there. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, that's I don't know. That just popped in my head, and I'm I'm just curious on that because it seems like I don't know. To me, to answer my own question, it seems like a lot of people want to be part of something, which is why Ponzi schemes work. And I also think a lot of people want to be part of something is why authoritarian rises it's like they want to be part of the quote-unquote solution they want to be the ones who are on the winning side and they, they want to be virtuous yes that's what the whole when we're talking about uh authoritarian personality of ethics like thinking that their ideas are the best ideas thinking that their culture is the best culture it's pride it's ego and it's a very dangerous emotion but I feel like that's also very well fed into of it, it. It seems it's like it's very easy to turn fear into ego or anger into ego of like, hey, don't be scared of these bullies that are ruining our country. We're the right ones. We're on the right side. We're 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 the the chosen ones. Be proud of it. That's I can see a lot of speeches of, in history happening like that. Well, right. And. and... This is where you get into dicey water, right? Because I don't know where I want to go exactly, but... Cannonball! Let's jump right in. <laughs> so, you know, the the word that comes up a lot, you know, the... it's I would say it's a hot topic, except I'm pretty sure it's only driven there by bots, is nationalism. And people talk about nationalism, which you know, the definition, you know, is pride in one's country, which, every, you know, everyone should be... take pride in their country, Unless, you know, unless it's a piece of shit, in which case it's also your fault because... This... I think that's the goal for every citizen is to be part of a country that they're proud of. Yeah, and right, the definition of a citizen is a, a person who resides in a state and has rights and obligations, and part of those obligations include making your state a better place. I mean, whether that be through service or just being a good fucking person. And so, you know, people say look at germany you know post-world war one germany is an example of why nationalism is is a bad thing but they don't look at post 9-11 united states as why nationalism is a good thing i would say also after world war ii of during the cold war nationalism in the united states was huge well true i mean with the caveat we with the red scare uh, we have to acknowledge that now granted no love for communist on this show but maybe we should have made sure they were communist. No, they've tried multiple times and failed. They they're they're good. <laughs> they're good. So, I mean, there's no there's no right or wrong. I just I people bring you know nationalism as a, as a reason for authoritarianism, by but also ignoring the good side of of nationalism, of of being fucking proud to be whatever country you're in. You know, as we're recording this, it's 
coming up on the 4th of July. And I fucking, I like to see people with house with flags outside. I like to see people being proud to be Americans because we all live in this fucking country. I mean, we, we should get along. Now, does that mean we need to start getting rid of people if they don't, you know, take pride in that? No. But we also need to, you know, I, I, I think people don't, they only, when whenever anyone says the word nationalism, they only think of Germany. They never think of the United States after 9-11. Or France after the Paris attacks. Or London after the bombings. Or Israel after the, was it 86 Olympics? It's, um... Well, I, I just say Israel all the time, if we're being honest. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough, fair enough. Uh, yeah, it's Nash, it's, uh, it's like the word jaded. Uh, jaded's used constantly wrong or it's just like kleenex it's just so affiliated with that brand when it's actually face tissues or whatever they're called it's it's kind of like that it's just uh so associated it's hard to disassociate yeah and now that i i looked the the definitions change so it's uh let's see let's go to Merriam webster well while you look that up i think to me nationalist is i'm loyal to my country not loyal to uh, but i'm not to the assholes who run it, if that makes sense. Well, that's what it should be. It, it, the definition on Britannica is ideology based on the premise that the individual's loyalty and devotion to the nation state surpass other individuals or group interest. Ooh, I don't know if I like that new definition. I don't know if that's Which, accurate. Well, it's obviously been changed post, you know, 2016. Um, so Merriam-Webster's is a, a sense of national consciousness ex exalting one nation above all of those and placing primary emphasis on promotion of its culture and interests as opposed to those of other nations or sub-national groups. Yeah, nationalism has uh, changed a little bit because when I think Look, nationalism... we live in a world where people change word definitions all the time, so it's kind of unfair to have to kind of recall that. The, the new definitions. Yeah, I can barely speak English. You won't expect me to understand the definition of words. But nationalism to me is every time like I'm driving somewhere, I'm out by a bonfire, and I see the moon, I go, fuck yeah, America put men on that on that moon. That's super awesome to me. Not only for humanity, not only for science, but just for our country. That's fucking awesome. Granted, the Germans helped a lot, but still fucking awesome. Well, <laughs> I mean... Pretty much any technological innovation the Germans have helped us with. So to say, speaking of suppression of information, 455 new dictionary words were added, uh, but I can't find exactly how many were changed. But I do know that there were some pretty big changes to the dictionary last year in 2021, but I can't find an actual number for us. But not to go, not to give credits to the credit to the rise of authoritarianism but uh words don't mean what they used to anymore so i don't know do with that information what you will so i wanted to talk about a few interesting countries and i'm sure you have a list of a few interesting countries so one of the countries that i kind of ran across researching was botswana and i kind of thought it was interesting because it was one of those countries that became authoritarian kind of post-collapse of the Berlin Wall and how we talked about some countries use authoritarianism to jump from, you know, a, a bottom-tier economy into the, you know, mid-level mid economy, kind of jumpstart the economy. And they did it, uh, 
with a, a political party you know that took power and kind of took more and more control and then they kind of r- ran it almost business-like i guess um the all the like p- public positions are meritocratic as opposed to nick i'm not gonna lie this already sounds like a mob well yeah i mean it's authoritarian that's <laughs> kind of that's kind of how that works right uh, but it also is a resource resource rich country, uh, with the De Beers has three big diamond mines, which helped it, you know, jump up in its economic standing. And I, I just thought it was interesting because it's one you know political party that's remained in power. And I I don't have dates, but from what I've read, or not dates, but times, generally, when in country is authoritarian as a party as opposed to a person they tend to remain in power for longer and so the major political party in Botswana has remained in power since uh, was it 1966 so it uh yeah it was one of the world's poorest countries and then in 1966 it jumped up like into an upper middle income so it it was it is one of the world's fastest growing economies. Now, part of that obviously is due to discovering three big diamond mines, which doesn't hurt, I'm sure. <laughs> so it, uh, but at the same time, it's it's just interesting to me because I don't know. For a long time, I associated with increased, you know, the more democratic a country is, the the richer it is. But after researching this, yeah, there's. Little column A, little column B. <laughs> little column A, little column B. Exactly. Yeah, it's, um, I do think you're right, though, or at least the research you came across, right? Because I saw similar things of, I saw it with economy, not resources, but I imagine it's the same thing, is when you don't have the bureaucracy of making decisions and it takes five years for uh, the government to fix the road, and you can just say, you fix this road or else you die, the roads get fixed a lot faster. So, though bad, it's it's almost like um, slavery episode, Nick, when we were talking about how in third world countries, they're technically uh, sweatshops working below the line of poverty. But if it wasn't for these sweatshops, they would have zero income. It's almost like bad. It's like a silver lining in a bad situation, so to speak. Yeah. But what was interesting to me about Botswana is that it's pretty much like... A developed country so it it does have three branches of government and it's all independent of each other um but when you talk about like and and obviously people can pick apart certain things but botswana ranked 33rd out of 167 states in the democracy index which is an uh economic like some whatever economic form comes the economist whatever the fuck comes out with ranking on like freedoms and whatever the fuck it's and this isn't i don't know if this setting the bar high or low but it's above italy (laughs) Ooh, that is that is a good question (laughs) but it was uh the second highest rating in all of africa who's number one uh that's a good question well but it also is classified as the least corrupt country in africa which is surprising because it's you know in an authoritarianism government because it's been the same political party since 1966 
But like I said, it's interesting because it's it's all uh, merit-based. So to me, it just kind of sounds like, and I didn't look super into it, but I didn't see any like crazy human rights violations. Like there are human rights violations that a long time ago, they pushed Indians off their land. It's like, who hasn't been there? You know, I mean, <laughs> we've all been there. Not helping you with this joke. Not, not not leaving you to that one. Well, I'm just like, you know, when you what do you what are you supposed to do? Every country's been a developing country, including the United States. It happens. We talked about how borders change. Warfare is a big part of that. But I'm what I'm saying the 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 greater point is when you read the statistics and you search in the news, like there's no crazy stories coming out. Like you know, it's. It's classified as a highly developed country. It's just, to me, it's just interesting that it is an authoritarianism government. And I guess, you know, maybe it's 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 picking and choosing, you know, whether it's authoritarianism or not. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I was going to say, to play devil's advocate, the first thing that comes to my mind is China. Some stories slowly leak out of China, but not all at once. I mean... Ten years ago, Nick, we never knew the sleeping giant was China, and we don't know. We didn't know about the concentration camps they put people in. But I would definitely say it's authoritarianism. But if you look at like Hong Kong and Beijing, those are pretty. Those are advanced cities, so that standard of living is pretty high. So I, I imagine it's just the China of Africa. Yeah, I mean that's that's a that's a good point. But. I, and and that's you know that's a good point about China that it's a, it's a developed country but it's not a system I'd want to live under. Oh God no! But it is interesting how the country that caught your eye was in Africa because it was the same for me. The country that caught my eye the most was also in Africa. But this is one that didn't pop up a lot uh, in authoritarianism. I actually had to dig kind of deep, and this was Ethiopia. Now Ethiopia, in my mind, I'm thinking economics is pretty developed it's pretty advanced but they also have the tendency to kill journalists uh last time i checked it was over 2000 journalists since uh like 1990s that they just up and kill or torture and stuff like that and one of my favorite you know nick how i said that they have people express their opinion in authoritarianism or have escape goats or you know say they're cleaning stuff up the Ethiopian government has a two-leader system, so to speak. They have a prime minister and a president. The president is pretty much a ceremonial position, and they only serve uh, six years. While the prime minister, who's been the prime minister for I forget how long, uh, he has no term limit. I mean, it's not the best country, but if you look at a whole of countries you could be in, I mean economically they're growing they're becoming more industrious they have ties with the western world that's why the western world isn't saying anything like that before so there's a high amount of trade so it's very interesting that all this is happening even though there are people being killed executed but i imagine that's happening in every single country Uh, also uh based on their ranking i have this in my notes they are the 118th most democratic of 167th countries so uh, not at the high end of the list. Yeah. So, for example, my example was number 33. So. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, it's uh, uh, different ends of the spectrum there. <laughs> <laughs> Same results. 
<laughs> Same results. You can't argue with results, right? Yeah, but that's very that's just interesting to me of similar continent, the same continent. Uh kind of <laughs> similar situation, but two very different methods of getting it, but they're both authoritarian. It's very weird. Authoritarian is just Well, it's it's a very broad term. I mean, so is nationalism, but that you... changed. Yeah, well, we can we can change whatever the fuck we want. Uh I mean, we can't, but people in power can. But it's, you know, if you looked at a list of democratic countries, you could easily find a a really successful democratic country and a really poor democratic country. And I guess this leads into a deeper question of how do you want your country to run, right? I mean, if your sole concern is the economy, there's I don't think there's a clear-cut answer of whether the right answer is a democracy or an authoritarianism government. They both work. So, uh, they both technically work. You know, you can be successful in both. But the, I guess the, the, the broader question is what kind of country do you want to live in? Uh, before I answer that question, I just want to point out, I think a big reason why the two countries we investigated have very different methodologies in that is, I don't know about your country, Nick, but in Ethiopia, it's a little bit more war-torn. They have a lot more rebel groups and the conflict with Sudan like they they have a much more broken country if that makes sense a lot more war torn yeah no I mean that's like it so I was trying to get a feel because I, I can't stress enough how little I know about Botswana <laughs> <laughs> so I was trying to get a feel of like what what it is like so I, I was just put it into like to news and tried to see like what was the news there and it's it's like pretty generic developed country news like launches new flight to you know new um must prepare to cushion the economy says leader ex-president pleads with boris johnson to ban hunting trophy imports cattle rustling riles botswana and zimbabwe to attend seventh saecu summit in botswana so average news so just like yeah generic developed country news so you know which is good you know not exactly what you're hoping to see what were you hoping to see nick huh what were you i hoping said exactly to see? what you're hoping oh to see. i thought you said not what i was hoping to see it was like whoa 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 there my friend oh no well i was i didn't want to be like man botswana is doing pretty good type in news and it's like genocide in botswana oh yeah well yeah that's uh so i had to cover my bases there let's just say there's atrocities going on everywhere in the world that's true so yeah i I guess the 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 point that we kind of came to is that from an economic standpoint freedoms don't really matter is that is that what we decided yeah if if the money again if the money's flowing people don't really tend to care it's uh you know, if if I got if everyone's getting well fed, and, you know, and the schools are improving, or go, and you know people are getting more dumb items in their household, it's kind of hard to complain. You know, it's it's hard to hard to change. It's it's easy to feel motivated when you're you know all their bills are paid and you got food in your belly. It's uh it's hard to care about anything else when you're starving to death. Yeah, no, I agree. And so, again, like, uh, I don't know. It's just, uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to find out from this podcast. I don't even know if I found it out. 
I, so I feel like I learned a lot of new stuff, but I don't feel like I learned anything new, new. Well, the biggest thing for me is how many other interior countries still exist. Like, I feel I was just that was the most thing that caught me the off guard. The biggest thing the takeaway for me is there's two things to watch out for for authoritarianism, and that is strong central government power and suppression of opposition politics. I would say those are the two big things that like the red flag of hey, is the central government is is this one political power whether whatever party it is but is there too much power in this one branch are they suppressing information those are the two big red flags huh nick is, is there only a few it's only like there's a couple countries where these red flags are popping up but you know no one's really caring <laughs> yeah well, you look at uh one just examples of authoritarianism with the four qualities poli- political legitimacy that can come from you know if you have control of the information, you can create a legitimate government if you're the only one who can spread news. And ill-defined executive powers, a strong central government can create ill-defined executive powers. So if you have too strong of a central government and suppression of opposition, you can easily get the other two. So if you can stop those two, then you're good to go. And not just stop. It's not that we need to be like, hey, stop. It's we need to look at something and say, hey, are we giving too much power to so and to X like branch of government? Because I'm not saying to give a United States example, I'm not saying, oh, you know, the twenty sixteen Republicans voted to give this power to the, you know, executive branch over the legislative branch. And then I'm not saying that they're going to abuse it. What I'm saying is someone could abuse it. So why just not give them that power yes i i agree with your earlier statement that's true throughout all history power corrupts and absolute power corrupts everyone absolutely uh another something i think we're all guilty of this is why i think authoritarianism comes to fruition is once in a while we will all get in our own way of digging our heels on a hill we should not die on and not listening to the other side the other point of view the other opinion and on a small scale, it's whatever. But it happens enough on a larger scale, it starts creating problems. It starts creating groups. It starts creating us versus them. It starts creating they're the problems. We should we should elect people to get those people out. That's when authoritarianism truly rises. If you're, it's a lack of humility is when I think authoritarianism truly rises of uh, and i think do you want do you want me to bring it back to star wars uh in a sec uh, i think with humility if it, whether it's small scale or big scale humility of power of going well we will handle this power correctly but we don't know about the next generation that's dangerous that's playing with fire right there it should be humility of we don't know what we're doing we should proceed slow and cautious because I think a lot of people forget is every law, every created, whether it's for the greater good of the people or not, will not only affect the millions of people in that country, it will affect every generation afterwards. So that's tens of millions, if not billions of people, depending on how long a country lasts. Nick, bring it to Star Wars. So I want to add on to that. Not only that, but look at how the founders looked at Roman law and Roman history. So the decisions we make today, future 
countries could look back on these and say this was good or they could say this was bad. Just do you want to be the guy who's remembered for the bad idea? I mean, not that many people care, but my my whole point is if the Galactic Senate had just voted no to granting Chancellor Palpatine executive powers for a war that was just a skirmish on an outer rim world that just some Jedi got involved in, and then this army appears out of nowhere entirely suspicious, and we're just like, yeah, he's the guy. If someone had just stopped to think, hey, what the fuck is going on? The Republic doesn't fall apart. The Jedi don't die. For the security of the galaxy. (laughs) But we don't get the cinematic masterpiece that is A New Hope in the original trilogy. So did they make the wrong decision selfishly? I would say probably no, but also yes, they definitely fucked up. And obviously, not to get too deep into Star Wars, but I'm sure the Dark Lord of the Sith could have figured something else out to get around a no vote. But anyway, it's that simple, really. <laughs> I feel like that's all it is. When someone asks for all the power, just say no. Say no to drugs. Say no to all to giving political leaders all the political power they ask for. Those are the two things you're supposed to do. They should teach that in high school. Honestly, saying no to political power is more dangerous than saying no to drugs. If they have to teach one, I would say say no to polit- to giving to, to giving political leaders all the power. If we had to go onesie twosies, that's that's where I was going with it. I'm just like, oh, let's just focus on you know not giving people who are you know, the exact same as you, more power over you. I don't know about you, Nick, but I don't like how I don't trust governments and politicians, and I would prefer not to give them more power over me. Yeah, I'd prefer to give the the least number of people I can power over me. That would be ideal. That's an ideal situation. Nick, it's almost like I don't want to give other people authority over me. Weird how that... that that comes out to be it's like authoritarianism authority it's weird it's just weird how those are like the same thing look all i'm going to say is thomas jefferson was right a limited central government is what we need obviously you we needed a stronger government than jefferson wanted so you needed some of that hamilton influence because without the articles of confederation did not work we needed stronger than that and I think we did pretty good for a while, but it's just strong central government is what leads to authoritarianism. And it, it's not a political party. It's too much power in the hands of too few. That is the problem. No, I agree. It's good to be the king, but sh- it's shit to be the slave. Well, it's crazy is how fucking simple that is, right? Like when you when you boil it down to, hey, like if someone asks you on the street, should we give most of the governing authority to like a few people, everyone's going to say no. But, and this is straight from this podcast, it's not uncommon. an overnight change. It's a here and here, and then it, you, you bleed into it. When you give these people more and more authority, they're going to take it. This is why Cincinnatus and Washington were some of the craziest fucking people. That's why for the last couple thousand years, we have two names of people who walked away from power. One of them may have been a myth. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, boy. Power is so enticing. That's a uh, 
it's not surprising people want to become the king, but it is surprising that people allow the person to become the king. Strange women lying in swords, distributing lakes is no basis for a system. Distributing of lakes? How much have you drank? Well, we started like what three hours ago? <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But that's all I have, Nick. Unless you have something <laughs> else. No, I, we should just end it on strange women distributing lakes. That's fair enough. <laughs> distributing lakes and swords. <laughs> strange women and swords distributing lakes. I want that in a t-shirt now. Oh. Well, I haven't read any of my book on trees. Have you read any of your books on <laughs> uh, geometry for ocelots? No, it's uh, it's still haunting me. It's right there. It's a good book. I just... I've been just so tired. At this tired. point, my book has just become a part of my nightstand. <laughs> and it, it's just... It's just it's, there. It's like glued to the wood. I, I You couldn't tell me it wasn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, uh, uh, full circle. Once part of a tree, it comes back to me barring the tree. Uh, but, Nick, if people wanted to tell us about authoritarianism or their experience with it or their ideas about it, where could they tell us? Uh, you can find us on Instagram and read it and i check those as much as i read my book i guess i am <laughs> fucking working on it but it's i just am not good at it and i know i have some messages and i have seen them i just haven't responded so i apologize well with that being said thank you all for listening Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.